Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Drew Meehouse. Drew is a managing director at Riveron with 16 years of experience in professional services, including technical accounting, financial reporting, acquisitions and purchase accounting, and carve-outs. Prior to joining Riveron, Drew was in PwC's assurance practice in New York, and his tenure at PwC also included a multi-year secondment in Belgium, where Drew focused on multinational acquisitions and audits of foreign private issuers. Drew obtained a Bachelor of Science in Accounting and Finance from the University of Richmond and is a certified public accountant. Today, we'll be discussing reopening our businesses post-COVID closure and five accounting and reporting considerations before doing so. Drew, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me, Megan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this discussion. So first of all, let's talk about Riveron and what types of services they deliver. Sure. So as far as Riveron goes, we're a business advisory firm with offices throughout the country. I think part of what makes us a little different is that our people have a diverse set of backgrounds. So public accounting, certainly, but also many have been working in industry for years. So they have experience on both sides of the table, so to speak. Our clients are split between public and private and a significant portion of our Private clients are PE sponsors, so oftentimes our work is driven by that kind of PE transaction lifecycle. So certainly accounting and finance consulting is a large portion of what we do. We also provide buy and sell side diligence. We do a lot of technology enablement work. Process and performance improvement is something we spend a lot of time on, tax services. And right now we're engaged in a significant amount of recovery and transformation work, as you can imagine. So. We try to be a practical execution partner. You know, this stuff can get messy. And I think what we do best is get in the weeds and get the work done. Sure. And and so what types of projects have you, you specifically assisted clients with during your tenure with them? Right. So I work in our finance and accounting group. And although we do a lot of operational accounting projects, uh, my work is typically more on the technical accounting side. So My projects have ranged from IPO readiness to working with clients through complex debt and equity transactions, certainly in in recent years, implementation of the new standards, revenue, leases, CECL. And oftentimes I work with companies who just need help getting through a difficult audit and are having challenges across the board. Okay. So you wrote an article for CFO.com in which you identified five topics with accounting and reporting that businesses should be considering before reopening. So what led you to develop this list? Yeah, and in my conversations with accounting and finance leaders, it seemed clear that there was a shift in the past month in what questions were being asked and what problems were being solved. It it felt like accounting and finance leaders were finally able to digest what at least the near-term impact of COVID-19 was going to be and solve those immediate problems, you know, so things like, do we have any impairment triggers or how do we put together a a supportable going concern analysis or what do our supply chain disruptions mean for us? So we figured that stuff out as best we could. And we started to take a breath and look forward. And of course, as you look forward, then there's an entirely new set of problems to solve. So 
Well, a lot of companies are still grappling, certainly with that first wave of questions and figuring out what their businesses are going to look like in this environment. There seem to be quite a few that were reopening or executing their updated strategy. So I developed the list with the leaders, the financial and accounting leaders of those companies in mind. Okay, so let's jump in and discuss these five considerations. First, every business had a forecast for 2020 that became garbage in March. So what should businesses be considering when it comes to their forecast for the remainder of this year? Yeah, the thing about forecasting is, well, it's, it's always been difficult, right? Yep. So as you said, you know, the coronavirus turned every forecasting model upside down. No one's going to be creating perfect forecasts in this environment. So then to your question, how do we move forward? I think first, you know, focus on the rest of the year and broaden the scope of information you use to forecast. So in the past, companies have had a fairly static data set made up of economic and financial information to support and build their forecasts. But now new information specific to COVID-19 needs to be added to that equation and things that companies probably don't have a lot of experience dealing with these, these non-financial metrics. So, you know, how's the virus spreading around the world? How are governments reacting? What does all this mean for production capacity and demand? So once kind of this new information has been integrated into your 2020 call it year to go forecast and that's complete the hope is that enough time will have passed so that finance leaders should be better able to identify which of those data points are true demand drivers for their unique businesses and god forbid we ever have to go through anything like this again but how can businesses look at forecasting in the future to help them account for the unforeseen yeah I think it's, it's along the same lines of widening the scope of the information that we're considering, right? So as I mentioned, you, you, took, you took those data sets related to you know, the virus or maybe non-core financial and economic data, and you identify which ones are true demand drivers. The idea is finance teams can take those correlations and do a better job updating and updating their data sets and their models to determine, okay, which of these are, are going to really drive our business. And, you know, just like anything, we'll get better with that going forward, kind of integrating new sets of information and updating these models real time. So that's how I think, you know, we're going to develop this process forward. Yep. And with challenges, there always come opportunities. And so this may be a good time for some CFOs to strengthen their businesses. What should they be considering when it comes to non-core or underperforming assets? Sure. So during times of distress, and not just now, previous financial crises, or just, you know, industry-specific downturns, it's common for CFOs to look to shed those types of underperforming assets. What I've experienced is that many organizations are set up well to buy businesses. Many companies have specific roles assigned and formal processes and policies developed for acquisitions. And strategically, that makes sense. There's a stronger focus on how to maximize growth. So that includes purchases as compared to maximizing earnings through divestitures. As a result, Unless a company is significantly experienced in divestitures, 
you know, so has a playbook, processes, policies, people, companies, and then I guess in turn shareholders and other stakeholders pretty often don't realize the maximum benefit of divestiture. So what I'm getting at is this is a long-standing problem and in an environment where these types of deals are going to be increasing in volume, it's even more important to develop what I'll call a robust deintegration plan. So a couple tenets of that, you know, working through the sales strategy, defining what to sell is of course important, but you know, an upfront plan should also include a core analysis, divesting away from the core and using proceeds to invest strategically in, in whatever the appropriate future growth plan is, which may very well be rapidly evolving due to the impact of COVID right now. A value analysis is also important. Is the business worth more to your company than anyone else in the marketplace before you go through this long process to sell? The list goes on from there, but you know the point is with the pace and volume of divestiture starting to pick up, the lack of an exit strategy will probably lead to a prolonged and inefficient deintegration. Yeah, that's great advice. And and companies that aren't used to doing it, and many aren't, as you said, should probably be reaching out for help from consultants like Riveron and other service providers. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of lessons learned from, you know, folks who have done this a lot, because as I mentioned, just it's, it's usually once just every so often that uh, a divestiture will happen while a com- for a company while they will often, you know, acquire many businesses through the year. So it's just a different process. Yeah, that's great advice. And sometimes it's easy for finance to become siloed within an organization. But in difficult times, smart decision-making becomes more important than ever. So how should finance be working with operations to support strategic decision-making? Yeah, so let's follow on that discussion of divestitures a bit. So the good news is the right data to fully understand the health of a company's divisions or product lines is very possibly readily available as a result of other data gathering activities finance teams have completed in response to the coronavirus. So things I mentioned before, like impairment testing and going concern analyses, these things need to be supported at a granular level and often at a a product line or a, a segment or reporting unit level. So, you know, this information would be a great starting point to build from when CFOs and, and other organizational leaders are creating that deintegration plan. So point being, it's important to loop in, you know, the finance and accounting leads because they probably have really good information that can help strategic decisions right now. As I've worked with organizations in the past few months, some of the low-hanging fruit I've seen really is around communication. So, you know, ensuring that the the folks that are making the strategic and operational decisions and they're charting the company's path forward are communicating those plans with FP&A and finance and accounting teams who then in turn need that information to create the best forecasts and make some of the downstream counting conclusions that are crucial to the company's stakeholders. You know, things like, you know, to feed impairment models or valuation analyses that will drive investing decisions. So it's all connected, you know, in ways going upstream and downstream, maybe it hasn't been before, but that type of communication in in these times is even more important than ever. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And so let's change gears for just a minute and talk about real estate. So the past three months have proven that a work from home setup can work for almost any business. So how should businesses be looking at their real estate expenses moving forward? Yeah, I think it's one thing to take a look at the world right now and think, you know, this business can probably be done with 20% of the workforce being remote or 50% or whatever that number is. It's, but it's quite another to put that idea into any sort of actionable plan in the near term or, or even medium term. So putting together what I'll call it a smart real estate footprint analysis, it's yet another area where this cross-functional communication that we just talked about is key. So let me give you an example. So many organizations have either adopted or in the planning stages of adopting the new lease accounting standard, uh, ASC 842. So it's possible that comprehensive leasing information to create this footprint analysis is readily available and probably well-organized, certainly compared to what it would have been prior to the adoption of 842. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is, Again, organizational leaders should work with their finance and accounting teams because making that conclusion on how to reduce your footprint is going to be a lot better served in the long run by leveraging this 842 adoption data, which is going to have things like lease terms, payments, penalties, location data being readily available. And so before making these decisions, what kind of costs should people be analyzing? Right. So now you have all this data that I just mentioned, and you've identified the locations you couldn't plausibly exit, as well as the associated savings, right? But the best smart analysis should include other costs that may partially offset some of those real estate savings, or in some cases, fully offset it. So for example, are there negotiated penalties or costs to break a lease? Or is the sub-lease rental income you'll be receiving below the rate of your current lease payment? And what investments might you have to make in technology to enable employees to maintain, you know, their pro productivity at home? So now those types of technological investments will hopefully have a realized benefit over a longer term. But the point is, as finance and organization leaders think through real estate changes, they should definitely factor in these types of mitigating uh, costs. Okay. And so from toilet paper to pork products, over the past few months, we've seen many examples of broken supply chains. As businesses look to fill demand, what inventory management changes should they be considering? Yeah, so I guess keeping in trend with kind of our conversation here, I think the first step is to create a robust evaluation before you make any changes. So specifically, from my perspective, how are supply chain changes going to impact margins, cash flow, forecast, things like that? So, for example, these changes may include moving away from a single supplier. That's probably going to result in higher costs when purchasing in, uh, inventory. So, you know, you'll get fewer discounts because you have lower volume and you have higher shipping costs, you know, uh, shipping from multiple locations. Or another change may be moving away from just-in-time inventory management systems. Well, this will result in increases in your inventory balances and will negatively impact cash flows. Actually, just worked with a company looking to diversify their storage capabilities. They wanted to place inventory in a more you know, dispersed fashion and more easily access locations to limit their geographic risk. 
And that has kind of some of these same costs, right? The impact margins and cash flows. So at the end of the day, look, the accounting and finance folks aren't going to make any of these decisions in any sort of silo. But again, they should be plugged into the scenario planning of these type of supply chain changes so they can inform the decision makers on how these types of changes will impact the financial health of the business. Yeah, and I think this ties back to your previous point about finance and oper- or finance and accounting being closely in communications with operations. Yep, that's right. Okay, and lastly, as companies continue to manage through this crisis, how and why should management be looking at the new costs that they're going to be incurring? Yeah, well, of course, anytime you have new costs, you're going to incur. You want to you want to have a lot of good visibility into what they are and what the benefit you're getting. But I want to talk about a specific kind of aspect of how to look at these costs. So many organizations are going to incur a lot of different costs as they navigate, you know, the new normal. There's going to be one-time costs, things like severance costs or contract cancellation fees. There's going to be other costs that may seem like they're COVID specific costs, but in reality, maybe part of the normal operations looking forward, things like costs incurred to purchase new supplies or maintain higher workplace um, health standards and keep employees safe. So something, you know, I've been talking to CFOs about and making sure they're keeping top of mind is how they're presenting these costs, specifically if it's a public company and they're subject to the SEC disclosure requirements. A good measure of a company's health and what investors and stakeholders often look at sometimes first are these non-GAAP measures, things like adjusted EBITDA. So it's really important to ensure that any of these quote-unquote one-time costs that are being adjusted out are truly one-time items and not new COVID-related costs that may just be part of the new way a business works going forward. And I guess the last point kind of on this is no matter how you decide to present your costs, what you define as one-time things to adjust out or, you know, continuing new operational costs that you're not adjusting out, it's important to be consistent on how you're reporting and disclosing these items now into the future because the stakeholders and investors, you know, are, are going to look at the numbers and compare them period over period. So if you have a kind of a consistent presentation and treatment of these things, then it makes your financial data much more Uh, usable and user-friendly. Great advice. Drew, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Megan. There's certainly no shortage of of compelling topics to discuss in the finance and accounting world right now. So it was uh, was good to chat with you on some of these things. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today about these five accounting and reporting considerations before reopening. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed today's topic as well. And until next week, I wish you all healthy and happy days ahead. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.